0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord God, would you now take my words, um, and would you cause them to be a word of encouragement for each one of us directly from you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have ever read the book of Genesis from beginning to end, and I hope you have, and if not, maybe you will now, um, then you know that it is a book that is full of drama and dysfunction. I think it reads like a good beach novel. The scene for this morning from our first lesson opens upon a man who is fleeing for his life from his own brother. He has been involved in this struggle, which we could call the battle for the birthright. And the struggle started from before these twins were even born. In Genesis 25, a few passages a few chapters earlier, we find out that their mother, Rebecca, was in great pain while pregnant, and she went to the Lord and asked him what was going on. The Lord responded, "Two nations are in your womb. The older shall serve the younger." And sure enough, When the twins were born, though Esau came out first and was technically older by a few seconds, the infant Jacob was born holding on to his brother's heel, striving to overtake him. This baby, the second baby, was called Jacob, which means he takes by the heel, or he cheats. And throughout scripture, we find that individuals are often named based on the circumstances surrounding their birth, and their names predict a kind of destiny, uh, their character even. And Jacob is one of these people. The phrase then, grasping the heel, the name Jacob, was a Hebrew figure of speech for cheating. And sure enough, when we meet Jacob again in Genesis 28, he has already lived up to his name. Not content to be in second place or to receive less than his brother, Jacob took advantage of a moment of weakness from his brother Esau. One day, we find out in chapter 25, he uh, stole the birthright from his brother because Esau was willing to sell it back to him for a simple pot of lentil stew. And later, then, in the chapter before this, chapter 27, their blind father Isaac lay dying, and Jacob deceived his father at his mother's instigation. Jacob dressed up like Esau. He wore his clothes, and he even boldly dared to put um, skins of animals over his bare skin so that he even felt like his hairy brother, Jacob. And he went in to receive the divine blessing that Isaac had intended to give to Esau. And this blessing was not just a kind of kind words from a father to his son, but this was the passing on of God's promise that he had made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham the promise that his offspring would be as countless as the stars in the sky and the dust on the ground, that he would possess the land of Canaan, where he was currently a foreigner, and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. When Isaac and Esau figure out what Jacob has done, Esau weeps, crying out repeatedly, "'Bless me, O my father, even me also!' "'Bless me,' Isaac tries in vain to speak kind words over Esau, but he cannot unsay the divine promise that he spoke over Jacob. And so empty of everything except his own fury, Esau openly plots to kill his brother Jacob. Their mother finds out, and she tells Jacob to get out of Dodge. Um, And so when we meet Jacob in Genesis 28, he is homeless, virtually fatherless, fleeing for his own life, running from the consequences of his actions. He embarks on this epic journey over 500 miles on foot. And in his banishment, this exile, Jacob here in chapter 28 finds himself at this mysterious place, this place previously unknown to the patriarchs. And out of the blue... Jacob, there at his moment of surrender in sleep, he dreams the most magnificent dream. Do you remember your dreams ever? I hope you do, and I hope that, unlike me, you don't remember the bad ones. I seem to never remember my dreams unless they're stress dreams. And so um, every single one I've remembered my whole life Are stressful. And just last week, as I was preparing to preach on this passage, I had a dream, of course. I had traveled to Montana for a mentoring retreat, and I'd managed to bring my five month old baby with me alone, I had flown solo um, through the connecting flight. So that meant, um, for any of you parents that remember this, I had to assemble and disassemble the car seat and stroller combination three times on the way there, all while somehow holding onto the baby. The only way I had managed to make it was by relying on the kindness of strangers, chivalry is not dead, and by carrying the baby strapped in a carrier to my own chest so that I had my hands free. I was so exhausted (laughs) by the end of that day. I wanted to plant a flag in Montana, saying, I made it. (laughs) Here, I've made it, just like the American flag on the moon. Um, Having made it out there to Montana, I, of course, dreaded repeating the marathon on the repeat trip home. And so that night before my flights back to Birmingham, I did not sleep well. I had the most bizarre stress dream, combining all of my current fears Listen, in my dream, I was traveling again with the baby, but this time I was traveling by car, and I was traveling to a memorial service where I was supposed to preach, and the memorial service was several hours away are your dreams like this where things just pile on? And I was driving, but somehow it was snowing and not just a little bit of light cover. It was like inches upon inches, just like in the north, just like where I grew up. The snow was falling so fast um, that it was very dangerous. So I was going 20 miles an hour, gripping the steering wheel with white knuckles. Even in my dream, I remember this. And so I finally get to the venue for the memorial service, only to find that I had somehow miscommunicated with the family. I wasn't supposed to preach anyway but they did want me to wear my vestments for some strange reason but of course I didn't have a key to get into the room where I would put the vestments on and I didn't even have the right clothes the right vestments so I had to find something all of this piling on in the stress dream and then I realized in the middle of the dream I had left the baby in the freezing car do you have dreams like this in my dream, I ran out to the car and I gathered the baby to myself. Thankfully, um, the baby hadn't died. She was in the dream. She was just cold. And she was starting to warm up right as I woke up in a cold and fretful sweat I hope you don't have dreams like this. What are your stress dreams? What are the things that you find yourself saying to yourself? Do you hear um, the fears in my dream? And how behind all the fears in this dream is the fear of failure. Failure in my calling. Failure to be safe in driving. Failure to be able to get up in front of people and have anything meaningful to say. Failure to be appropriately dressed. And the new one, failure to be a responsible mother. My brain... And yours, too, probably produces these kinds of scenarios. And what I would describe as a closed system. In this closed system, we set high expectations for ourselves, and we fear knowing that we cannot meet our own expectations, never mind anyone else's. And I see the same kind of closed system when I talk to myself. Do you ever find yourself talking to yourself? Um, Hopefully you don't. But if you're like me, maybe you do. The words we say to ourselves when we talk to ourselves are the same kind of um, closed system. High expectations and shame when we don't get our act together. Come on, Deborah. Chop, chop. Hurry up. Oh, no. When you drop something. Not again. Uh, Get it together. You can do this. Do you hear in the language the closed system of communication within our own brains, the expectation, the fear of failure, um, the expectation of perfection? So when we find ourselves in this sitting, in this setting, in this closed loop, this repeated tape of communication with ourselves, what does the world tell us to do? Well, the world, and um, unfortunately, a lot of self-help books um, or even TED Talks today, those online articles, or even memes, I hate memes, they all too often they encourage us um, to stay within this closed loop of communication because they wrongly think that if we just remind ourselves and say it again, Sam, speak it again over ourselves, then somehow we will be able to do it. If we tell ourselves who we want to be, this is what the world says, then somehow we will become that person. But change doesn't happen this way, does it? On our own, we cannot change ourselves because we simply are not in control of our own destiny. Jacob, too, has this illusion of control. His scheming and manipulation seems to have gotten him what he wanted, the birthright and the blessing. But he has deeply hurt his only brother and disappointed his dying father. Jacob is now running for his life, and it looks as though there is no human way possible for him to achieve what he wants. Jacob ought to be having a stress dream, and on his own he probably would be. He has won this battle, and yet he has lost everything in the process. And so as he pauses, as he surrenders to sleep and puts his head on a stone pillow, what do we find Miraculously, we hear the gospel. We find that Jacob receives communication that breaks through the closed loop of his own desperate situation. We might want God to appear to Jacob in judgment, telling him what we would tell him, that he just did a terrible thing and he deserves to be on the run. But in his more than human dream, Jacob sees a vision of God, and Jacob hears God speaking into his life. God breaks through the closed loop of human communication. God talks to Jacob in a way that Jacob could never talk to himself. There are two parts of this message. The first part is visual. Jacob sees a ladder bridging heaven and earth, a stairway to heaven with angels going up and down on that stairway and the angels are making sure that God's will is done on earth even as it is in heaven and then god see or jacob sees god himself there standing over him dealing with him directly speaking to him words of gracious promise instead of chastisement And this is the second part of the message. The first part is visual and the second part is auditory. Jacob hears God reiterate to him the promise that God made so many years before to Abraham, that he would have countless offspring, that they would inherit the land, and that through him and his offspring, other nations would be blessed. Jacob can strive for the blessing, and he has, but only God can graciously give it. And he does. The blessing cannot be earned or achieved, bargained for, or stolen. Somehow God chooses this unsavory fellow, this lying cheat, to be transformed into someone who blesses other people. God will miraculously change him. Jacob is blessed, and he will be a blessing to others. And God also makes promises specific to Jacob the Lord promises his presence and protection. I will be with you and I will keep you safe. And he finally promises Jacob's safe return to his home, um, somehow bringing about reconciliation with Esau. God breaks through the closed system of Jacob's life, and this word from God immediately works in Jacob. When he wakes up, Jacob responds to God's grace through an act of worship, through the promise of lifelong dedication to God, and through returning to God a full tenth, what we would call a proportional tithe of his entire kingdom. Already, Jacob is blessed to be a blessing. I hear in this circumstance, and it echoes in my brain, even as it echoed in my brain last week, when I had come part of the way and still had part of the way to go, when I was in the middle of my journey, I heard this verse from the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jacob could have written those words, and I could have also, because they spoke into my situation. Jacob literally raises an Ebenezer, which is one of those stone pillars of remembrance in the Old Testament. On the journey, they marked the way um, so that they would say, God brought me this far by his grace, so I can trust that he will be there for me in the future. He will bring me home safely. Jacob uh, responds, and Jacob then begins to be a blessing to God back and also to others. Jacob's not perfect. He does go on to do more lying and cheating, but from this point on, he belongs to God. He is a changed person because he did not get what he deserved. Well, this, of course, is a perfect description of us as well. We are responsible for ourselves, but we are not in control. We are both a reprehensible person like Jacob and the object of God's promise. We cannot manipulate our own circumstances to get what we want in life. There will be the inevitable failures and disappointments. And physically, we find our bodies don't do what we want them to do. We are at the mercy of aging and illness And then emotionally, like me, we might think we can jump kick our way out of the closed system of our own fears and anxieties, but the loop on our own just keeps playing in our minds. Morally, we're not perfect either. Even on this side of receiving grace, we think somehow we can pay it back. We think somehow that we can behave on our own according to our belief, but we find ourselves returning to the same old sin. God does not give Jacob what he deserves, and he doesn't give it to us either. The promise of who we are in Christ and who we will become at the end of the age is a word from God that breaks through the closed loop of our own striving, of our self-talk. I can only conjure up stress dreams and pep talks as a solution to my fear of failure and my sense of inadequacy. And And the same goes for you. But for us in Christ, God brings rest Reconciliation, forgiveness, and the promise of his ultimate goodness towards us. These are no mere dreams. These are eternal realities. And they become eternal realities because God is all about earth and the material things of earth instead of cloistering himself away in heaven. The spoken promises of God that he made to Jacob— are, of course, fulfilled in Jesus. And the vision that was the vehicle for the promise of to Jacob speaks to us of the way in which Jesus is the vehicle for God's promises to us. That ladder that bridged heaven and earth has been understood throughout the ages of the church as the pre-incarnate word of God. And Jesus Christ himself alludes to Genesis 28 when he tells his first disciples that they would see an incredible miracle. In John 1:51, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He is referring to his death on the cross, showing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way, in fact, that sinners can exist in the presence of a holy God, by trusting in the work of Jesus that spans the gap between heaven and earth, between God and man. In the word made flesh, this word from outside of us, Jesus Christ God breaks into our closed system. He forgives us. He frees us from this cycle of selfishness, of sin, of death. Love comes down, and love changes us, even as the Good Friday hymn sings, love to the loveless, shown that they might lovely be. Like Jacob, in Christ, we are free finally from ourselves. We are blessed. And miraculously, we are blessed to be a blessing. Our response is one of worship and praise, dedication and thankful giving from the abundance of all that God has given us, spiritually and even materially. And so in closing, what can we do except echo the words from an old folk song about Genesis 28? Alleluia to Jesus, who died on the tree and has raised up a ladder of mercy for me. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.